Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ah, welcome. Wait, hold on. Wait, hold on. Wait, real quick. That's the wrong intro music. G- give me, give me one second. Ah, there we go. Welcome back to the Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. I am your host, Jacob DeLawrence. And normally, I would come here and talk about the most recent game. You know, maybe preview things that are upcoming. You know, it's March Madness time. Well, under normal circumstances, it would be March Madness time. But, alas, I know the last time you guys heard me, we had the Megan Como interview. Thank you again to Megan for the time. You are always welcome back to the show. Anytime you see fit, Megan, just reach out to me. Or the people that believe and we'll get you on. You know, I said the Megan Como interview. Now it's going to break down a few things. You know, heading into the conference tournament. And so forth. And then basically the world just got quarantined. And we have a global pandemic known as COVID-19, a.k.a. the coronavirus. And needless to say, the coronavirus has basically canceled every last sporting event for the next two months, more or less. The NBA season is on pause. MLB has pushed back opening day for a couple weeks at least. NHL has suspended their season. The NCAA has canceled all winter and spring sports. They have sus- they no suspension. They have canceled March Madness for the men and women. And this is well, this just leaves us in a weird spot, which is why you didn't get an episode from me after the Coma interview because news was breaking going on with corona and i just kind of want to sit back and wait and just see how things played out so this is going to be an episode where we discuss the effect that the coronavirus has had on sports specifically uconn we're going to talk about what actually would have happened had uconn made it to march madness and we actually played the tournament we're going to go off of the most recent bracketology prediction and then we're also going to talk about the news from megan walker that she's foregoing her senior season and is entering and declaring for the WNBA draft, which is a rare thing in women's hoops. 90% of players, 95%, if not more, tend to stay all four or five years for various reasons, but the WNBA has a new CBA. The money's a little bit different. The contracts are a little bit different and better, so I guess it's the best time if Megan wanted to go early. This is now a great time for her to go early, so we're going to get into that and everything else. So this is, you know, it's going to be a little different episode of Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. But before we actually get into things, I just want to remind you guys to make sure you follow me on Twitter. I am at underscore J Della. That's J-D-E-L-A with an underscore in front. And make sure you follow, of course, the nice people at Believe, the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe they are at Believe Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram? It is B L E A V Podcast, all one word. Make sure you put the S on at the end of podcast. So there you go. You know, make sure you reach out to them. Be like, hey man, we appreciate the episode. You know, hey, cool. Or man, you know, Jacob ain't doing it. Can we get Jacob a calls? Or can we get Jacob to do some more interviews with former players or something? Because we really enjoyed the Megan interview. Like, Megan Como is such a great get. 
let them know. Let me know. If I suck, tell me I suck, man. You know, just just let me know. Like I said from day one, this is a very listener-based podcast. I want this to feel like your podcast. Like, I might be the host, but this is a family podcast. I just want everybody to feel welcome, to feel at home, that, hey, we are UConn. We bleed blue and everything. Like, hey, we're here together. So, without further ado, let's just go ahead and just get right into things. The coronavirus has canceled sports. There was the talk of playing a lot of these things in empty arenas with just essential personnel, such as, you know, you get a couple of announcers, you get your camera crew, you have your both teams and the essential personnel associated with the teams and their rosters. Then, I believe... Which is the right judgment, which is the right decision looking at things. Cooler head. I don't even know if it's a cooler heads prevail situation. I think it was just one of those like, all right, let's just go empty arena. And then it's like, you know what? Let's come back. Let's take a breather and let's look at it and think about it. And sure enough, I believe that's what they did. They stopped. They thought about it. They did a little more research. Maybe got a hold of a few more people. It's like, oh, so this thing is spreading. It's hard to tell when you're going to have the symptoms. I'm sorry, it's hard to tell when you actually catch it because the symptoms show up days later. And it's like you can self-quarantine for two weeks and hope you're okay. But is it really worth risking somebody getting sick where this disease has shown that it takes effect on the elderly the most or those that have other underlying health issues? So it becomes a matter of is it worth the risk to the reward? And if you're going to play in an empty arena, you're not making any revenue and you can say what you want about the NCAA. They can say what they want, that you're, that they're here for the student athlete, that the athlete is a student first and that their main goal is to get them education. If the NCAA ain't making money, they ain't really trying to do too much of anything. It's just that simple when it comes to them. And I believe that was a large driving factor behind this. Despite what Mark Emmerich or anybody else from the NCAA says, if you don't have the fans here for March Madness, almost, it's like, what's the point? Because you have all of these great moments in the history of March Madness on both the men's and women's side, and you have the crowd reaction to it. You you have the, oh, the heartbreak, the elation, the joy from the crowd. That makes a lot of these moments greater than just if you saw the moment in an empty arena. For those that might be fans of pro wrestling, they're suffering. Of course, anything is dealing with the effects and the precautions surrounding the coronavirus. So what did uh, WWE decide to do? They have their weekly show, SmackDown. They did it from their performance center in Orlando, Florida. In basically, well, there's no basically. It was an empty arena. It was literally the wrestlers, your announcers, your cameraman. That's it. And If you are not familiar with wrestling and you're watching that, you're like, this seems weird. Those that are familiar with wrestling are watching this and you're seeing superstars come out, do their normal shtick. They're pandering to a crowd that's not there. It just feels weird and out of place. Watching March Madness without a crowd would have felt weird and out of place. And yeah, of course, we'll all be there sitting in the break room at work, not getting any work done. Or we'll all be at a bar on our lunch break. Or wherever we may be. Or whatever we may be doing. We'll all be gathered around. Still watching the tournament. But it's going to be missing something. Because you're going to be sitting there. And you're going to see a key donk or something happen. And you're just going to be like. 
oh, that was dope. You look around and like everybody's out of hype like, like they would normally be because you're not feeding off of the crowd, just watching it at home. And thus the players aren't feeding off of it. Yes, you can say that once the ball goes up, it's just you, your teammates, and the other team between those lines. That is true to an extent. However, momentum swings with emotion a lot of times. Because if you're a road team, all these games are quote-unquote neutral sites games, essentially, for men and women. Even though with the women, some of the higher seeds in the first couple rounds, they get a host but let's just say you're one of those teams that's not hosting at your own gym. So these are in this it is a quote unquote neutral site game. But you're playing a team that is a lot closer to this host site than you are. For example, let's just foreshadow and say Connecticut ended up in the same bracket. I'm sorry, the same region of the bracket as South Carolina. Let's just say they met in what would have to be the Elite Eight for them to meet. It's an empty arena. The Elite Eight would have been in Greenville, if I'm not mistaken. It was somewhere in South Carolina or either right over the border in North Carolina. The point is, it is in South Carolina's backyard and Connecticut would have to travel down. Let's just say they're playing that game. It's an empty arena and Connecticut is down. And South Carolina's going on a run to kind of put a little, different, a little distance between themselves, but yet Connecticut is able to sustain this run and you have to sit there and watch you're like all right what's going on here South Carolina is going on a run Connecticut is faltering at what Connecticut does why is this happening and then you look and you go oh there's no fans in this arena so it really becomes hey 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 it's basketball everybody's gonna make their run we're fine there's no momentum or there's not as much momentum because if that same scenario plays out with a crowd that is 80% Gamecocks fans or 70-30 or 60-40 at absolute best, it creates a different environment. It makes it feel more hostile. It makes every last basket count more. It makes the most mundane layup that is only worth two points seem as if they hit a dagger from three with the shot clock expiring at the end of a quarter. Like everything hurts more because you have a crowd that is against you that is just like, ooh, boo. Every time UConn touches the ball, it's boos. Every time they miss a shot, you hear the cheers. And every time South Carolina comes down, they get the cheers. You get the fans chanting. You get the Gamecocks chant. Everything is going against you, and that creates an environment, a feeling of hostility for your Connecticut. And that factors in. I understand that once you reach a certain level, for the most part, you can tune it out. But if you go ask any player off the record and be like, hey, I got a question for you. Let's say you were playing in this national championship game and it was in, um, let's just say, what's noted? It was in Chicago. And you were playing against Notre Dame, which is basically in Notre Dame's backyard. And it was a very pro Notre Dame crowd. Let's just be honest, me and you having a conversation off the record. Notre Dame went on a run at it a little bit. Did you feel like it was a lot worse than what it was because of the environment? Most people are going to tell you yes. They're going to be like, yeah, I felt like it was a lot worse because I'm surrounded by a bunch of Notre Dame fans who are hounding my neck. Every time I'm at the line shooting a foul shot, all I get is boos or overrated or anything of that nature. It takes an effect. And that is a key component of March Madness. And let me just add a little bit more to it. Loyola 
Illinois went on a run either last year or the year before in the men's tournament. They had Sister Jean, the nice little Catholic nun. Sister Jean does not happen in this case now. There's no Sister Jean. There's nothing. There's no fan. Nothing. It is literally the sound of a ball squeaking and a whole lot of trash talking. And you better hope that either they decide not to mic the gym as they normally would, not to mic the players and our coaches like they normally would, or they turn those mics down really low where they don't pick everything up, or whoever has the sensor button is not falling asleep at the wheel. Otherwise, it'd be a bunch of FCC fines because I promise you, you're going to get a cuss word almost every other word out of play- most players' mouths. Not a lot of Phillip Rivers running around here where they don't cuss. So it just creates a different environment. And I'm glad for the safety of just everybody and anybody involved with any of the teams that would have been in the tournament, that are in the tournament, and so on and so forth, that had punched their tickets or whatever, that the NCAA actually did something right for once in regards to their student-athletes and decided to cancel this because you also have to think, okay, you're playing in an empty arena. Okay, so that's less people. There may be 100 total people between both teams, the staffs that are essential for both teams, and the media that is there to cover it and everything else. Maybe 200 at the absolute most. Okay, if everybody's being tested and everybody's being checked before they arrive, once they're there and before they leave, what's the big deal? You have to travel. You only get to play one two games in one city, and then it's like, all right, cool, boom, I got to go on to the next one. Okay, boom, we win this one. Okay, now the site has changed. Or, okay, now we got to go back to Connecticut because we have four or five days in between games. Then we got to travel back because we just figured, you know what, let's go back. Let's work at our own place. Let's get a little feeling of home. All of these things factor in. The more you travel, the more you're exposed to it, the likely you're more likely to contact it, contact, <laughs> contract it and necessarily not be aware that you have it. Like people are giving Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz flack for catching and spreading coronavirus. Rightfully so, because if all the reports are to believe to be true, Rudy is basically just running around being a dick and hatting a fool and playing jokes in the locker room. When, hey, yeah, you're carrying a virus that is caused and has caused a worldwide pandemic. Like the whole world is quarantined for the most part. A lot of states are shutting down bars and restaurants where it's like, nope, you can't come here. You can't gather. But you know what you can do? You can still order and do takeout and we'll have somebody bring it out to you. You know, keep this as minimal as possible. So it's just, yeah, it sucks as a fan because you're like, damn, man, this is my favorite time of year. I was going to go sit at the bar or, hey, man, this is the one time where my productivity at work could completely fall off a cliff and my boss doesn't care because my boss is right next to me sitting here watching the game with me. So it sucks. Us as fans, we have to accept this and deal with it. It ain't necessarily an easy pill to swallow, but in the long run, when history goes back and looks at this, for once in the existence of this organization, the NCAA will likely end up on the right side of things, saying that they did the thing that was right and in the best interest of all the parties. And canceled the tournament. It was like, hey, it's unfortunate. And they also offered an extra year eligibility to all players affected by it. I believe it was mostly for seniors and fifth-year seniors and those that were set to graduate. But still, it is a great thing that NCAA was nice enough to do that. 
So there's the props to the machine. Might be the last time I give the machine props because I'm pretty sure they're going to turn around and do something incredibly stupid as soon as normal business resumes. Now, I said I was going to get into the bracket and where Connecticut was likely to go. So we're going to do that. But before we do, let's just go ahead and look at something real quick. And take a second to acknowledge that Connecticut's last game played this year. Connecticut's last game this year was them capturing their seventh straight American Athletic Conference title. And what's special about this is, okay, cool, UConn won the American Athletic Conference tournament again. Yay! Who in the American Athletic could really hang with UConn? Okay, we get it. It's the mighty UConn. Yeah, 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 you're right. Okay, we yeah, sure. But as you've seen this year, UConn has had a few struggles, hiccups, faults during conference play. Myself and Megan talked about it, how at times this team struggles with length. There are teams in the American Athletic Conference that have length that gave UConn issues. And this team tends to go cold at the worst possible times. If you need proof, go look at the UCF game, the first matchup this year, where Connecticut couldn't buy a bucket for like six minutes. And the final end result made it seem like it was a lot closer game than what it was. So, yeah, it happens. They struggle with Memphis until they pulled out a late run in the fourth quarter to blow the doors off of Memphis. So, you know, it, it happens. This isn't like a Teflon Connecticut of the past, which is hard for a lot of people to accept because you're used to seeing a team be so Teflon that now that you're seeing chinks in the armor, you're like, what? No, nah. It was just a bad day. No, this is who the team is. But what is special about Connecticut's seventh straight American Athletic Conference title is the Huskies are gone. They are leaving the American Athletic Conference and going back home to the Big East. It might not be the Big East that a lot of people grew up on because football killed the best basketball conference ever known to man. I will die on that hill. I will defend that claim on both the men and women's side. The Big East was the best basketball conference in college basketball, period. Not the ACC, not the Pac-12, not the Big 12, the Big 10, which has like 15 members because they can't count in the Midwest, apparently, unless it's cows or sheep. None of these other conferences. The Big East was the best hands down from Syracuse to Connecticut to Pitt to Georgetown to Notre Dame. You were loaded and stacked top to bottom. Teams like Providence could fight you and knock you off any given moment. It was always a dogfight. Day in, day out, night in, night out. Don't believe me? Just go back and check the tapes. Matter of fact, go watch ESPN because I'm pretty sure they're showing a bunch of classic Big East games, both men and women's, because there's nothing else for them there right now because, again, sports are on a two-month hiatus, basically. So just go check. Look for yourself and you'll realize that the greed of college football expansion that happened roughly about eight years ago or so killed it, killed it. Because I'm still trying to figure out how Pitt and Syracuse are in the Atlantic Coast Conference because nothing about them is on the Atlantic or coastal, but neither here nor there. So we're just going to leave that be and go back to UConn, seven straight American Athletic Conference titles. The most important thing is the team has never lost a single game 
regular season or conference tournament. 139-0. That is arguably the most impressive streak in college basketball history, period. Hands down, men, women, I don't care. D1, D2, D1AA, D3, doesn't matter. JUCO, NAIA, it does not matter. To run through a conference for seven years and not take a single L is impressive. And on top of that, of those 139 games that they played and won, there were only two that were decided by nine points or less. Only two in seven years. So you mean to tell me you went 137-0 and and in that 137-0, and you whooped everybody's ass by at least 10 points. And a lot of them were 20, 30, 40-point blowouts. So you can hate Connecticut as much as you want and say that they've killed the game and so on and so forth and whatever contrived rhetoric, rant, whatever you want to excuse, whatever you want to do, you say, go on. It doesn't matter. You have to, at some point, acknowledge that Connecticut doing this is impressive. And it would probably get more attention and acknowledgement and respect if it wasn't from Connecticut. Because like the New York Yankees and the Lakers, and well, no, not the Cowboys because the Cowboys haven't won anything since I was like four years old. So, But there's a quote-unquote fatigue for a lot of teams that constantly win. It becomes, oh my God, we're tired of hearing about your achievements. We get it. So if Baylor did this, or Stanford, or Oregon, who's the new darling on the block, if one of those teams did it, it would be all over the place. But because UConn did it, it's like, oh, you're supposed to. No, you're not supposed to win hundred, essentially 140 games in a conference over seven years and only win two of them by by uh, 10 points or less. I'm sorry, by nine points or less, by single digits. So acknowledge the greatness. Acknowledge that you also have, quote-unquote, Connecticut fatigue. But yet you have to do both. Yeah, I have fatigue. I'm sick of Connecticut. Okay, cool. I appreciate you being honest. Now, while we're being honest, let's talk about how this is the most dominant program we've seen ever. And it has led to the growth of women's basketball. An interesting quote about Gino when asked about going 139-0. and He was like, we don't expect to win every game. We're not arrogant thinking that we deserve to win every game. We just prepare to win every game, close quote. Yeah. That's true, and that is the UConn way. We don't expect everything. We don't expect to win. We, we're we not going to think that we deserve to win every game. They just literally come and play and practice. If I'm not mistaken, either HBO, I believe it was HBO, did a documentary on UConn a couple seasons ago, kind of followed the team. Go watch that and go watch some of the practices. These women are running a scout team of men who could have played D1 at a lot of colleges, clean out of the gym. And they are going hard, and they are attacking. And this is in the midst of Connecticut being Connecticut that a lot of people know, and they're steady applying pressure. So the way I see it, yeah, you prepare to win, and that's why you can go 139-0. and Because, again, these are all D1 athletes. These are all recruited athletes that a lot of teams wanted. You can say that, yeah, they might not be as good as Team X or Team Y. They're still D1 athletes. They're st- they were still highly recruited, highly sought after, and that this is basketball. Anybody can beat 
be beat on any given night. Because all you need is for the ball not to hit right and for somebody to go, oh, man, it's the rim or this or that and be taken out of the game. And then boom, 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 boom. Again, need proof. Go look at the Hartford team that knocked off somebody. Had not won a single game all year. Finished, I believe, 1-30 because with that one win. So, again, any given night, you can take a nail. So you can't come in thinking that, hey, we got it. And that's what UConn does not do. They don't come in thinking, oh, we have this. We deserve this. You should just fold down because we're Connecticut. No. And if you have that approach and you run into a team that's like, oh, you're Connecticut? Cool. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to throw our best punch at you and see what you can do. And a lot of teams do that at Connecticut. Connecticut comes back and knocks them clean out. But if you come in with the idea and the thought and the approach that we're Connecticut, you're supposed to bow down and you get hit with a punch and you weren't ready to punch back, you might get ran out the gym. You might be on the receiving end of a UConn beatdown. So it happens. I appreciate Gino keeping these women ready to go. And now being ready to go, they were ready to go for March Madness. Until it got canceled. The last predictions that ESPN put out had Connecticut as a 2C sitting in Oregon's region. Looking through that, Connecticut should have gotten through the bracket with relatively no trouble for the most part until they ran into Oregon in the Elite Eight. And if you watched the Connecticut-Oregon game this year, it was kind of close for a little bit. And then again, Connecticut went cold. They went cold at the worst time. Sabrina Anescu from Oregon, she just carved them up along with the power forward, who is six foot five. Her name is escaping me at the moment. She just did what she wanted, basically. And there's nothing that Connecticut could do. Now, if you look at that, there's an old adage that says it's difficult to beat a team once in a year. It's really difficult to beat the same team twice. And that's true. Especially when it's a team that is well prepared, such as Connecticut. Because now Gino has been playing the rest of these games, trying out stuff with the intent of, okay, I'm likely to see Oregon again, likely to see South Carolina again, likely to see a Stanford again, likely to see a Baylor again. One of the powerhouses, one of the heavyweights. Yeah, you had a real tight game with Baylor. Baylor pulled away because you went cold. Yeah, it wasn't United against South Carolina, period. Yeah, it wasn't really United against Oregon either, if we're going to be honest. Like, you were close for a little bit, and then it just fell apart from you. One as close as Baylor, and then one as bad as South Carolina. And you're like, yeah, Stanford, hey, you know what? We respect you. We might just see you anyway, so we got to account for you. You don't think Gino has been looking, watching that film, and trying new stuff in these conference tournament games or these conference regular season matchups that were left? To make sure that they could handle something that Oregon threw at them. That they were ready to throw a counter at Oregon. So yeah. And I know me and Megan talked about this with our interview. We said that this isn't a team likely to win a national title. And I believe it. This team was not constructed. Or well, I don't want to say they weren't constructed. They just weren't ready to win a national title yet. This was a team that had a lot of new players coming into new roles so it wasn't new in the sense of that you brought in a bunch of newness yes you had Anna Makarat come in as a freshman you were expecting Westbrook to be there 
But no, you didn't get her. Her knee was messed up anyway, so you kind of got blessing in, in disguise. But it was a lot of players stepping into roles that they weren't used to. Megan Walker had to step up. Olivia Nelson had to step up. These were players stepping into new roles. And like I've said before, this this whole thing of, oh, you've been here, you've started, you contributed before. What does it matter? Yeah, I started and contributed and put up 10 points a game or 9 points a game off the bench. But now, you're looking at me and you're like, hey, I'm going to need you to go get me 17 points a game. 15 points a game. Yeah, I know you're thinking like, oh, okay, 15 points, that's two foul shots and a three. Or that's a jumper from mid-range and then you get three at the line. Yeah, seems easy in concept. To average 15 points a game, you got to be able to put up 25 one night, 10 the next. 15, 15, 15, 15, give me 12 here. Maybe you got an off day, 7, so I need another 20 plus. It's a lot. And when you're not used to being a focal point or being constantly called on, it takes a toll. It makes you adjust. It makes you think twice about things. It makes you be like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How do I handle this? Some people can't handle the spotlight, which isn't a bad thing nor a good thing. It's just an honest truth that some people, they do better as role players and that they can't be forced into a primary role. And that's okay. Not everybody's meant to be a primary role. You don't even have to be a superstar. I'm not saying that you can't handle being a star or a superstar. It's just you don't have to. You can't. If you're not in a primary role, that's fine. So. I would have saw Connecticut knocking off Oregon. I'm probably saying this statement with my heart. Watching and remembering that Oregon game, it wasn't their best night. Like I said, they were kind of with it for a little bit. And then it really just got ugly. I just... Yeah, I believe that Gino getting a second crack at Oregon. That they get their, they get their win back. And then they would have gone on to see if I'm not mistaken. Depending how the brackets looked. I believe it was Baylor in the final four. And at that point you throw everything out the window. Because the first matchup was a one point game going into the fourth quarter. And then Baylor pulled away. Maybe Connecticut finds a way to get that back on Baylor. And then Connecticut sees South Carolina. I don't see Connecticut beating South Carolina. I didn't see. I don't necessarily see Connecticut beating Baylor as well. I see Connecticut being Elite Eight, Final Four team, national title game team. It's the ceiling. The realistic view is, hey, you're an Elite Eight. It's a great run. You keep one streak coming. Maybe you can find a way to steal your way to the fast uh, Final Four and keep that streak. But I would have said this team is put out in Elite Eight by Oregon. Ask me in two days after I watch some more film and think about it, I'll probably tell you this team could beat Oregon and give whoever comes out of Baylor's region a run for their money. But yeah, it's an Elite 18. That's where I'm standing right now. I believe it. All this season being washed out does is give Geno and company ammo. Because all they're going to say now is, oh, we got spared. You're going to hear everybody say, oh, Connecticut. This was determined to expose Connecticut that they've fallen off, that they're not as good as they used to be. That the dynasty is no longer the dynasty, that it's falling apart. No, 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 not true. Because you won't know for sure. So now, Geno has all that ammo in a whole entire offseason 
to just get everybody ready and go, hey, they doubted us. They doubted us. They don't believe in us. We are UConn. Remind these people who we are. This is why we are a family. This is why we're such a close-knit group during your time here from the first recruiting call, text, email, visit, meeting at a random gym in the middle of the summer, all the way through your first day on campus to your last day on campus to the day you graduate, all the way until you're 40 years old at home with a family sitting here talking to a podcast host. It's it's the Yukon way. It's a family. So Gino's going to have these women ready for next year. Unfortunately for next year, he's going to be missing a key piece, which is going to force somebody else to have to step up into a new role. And that key piece that Gino will be missing is junior forward Megan Walker. She was to go for this team. She led the team with 19.7 a game. And eight, I'm sorry, and she also chipped in eight rebounds, almost at 18. I was like, ooh, she's putting up 20 and 20 numbers. Ooh, that's a beast right there. But nah, she gave you 20 and eight this year. That is a lot of productivity to replace. I don't know what's more difficult to replace. The 20 points a game are the eight rebounds, but I'm leaning toward the eight rebounds. You can easily get 20 points a game one time. You can easily score 20 points in a game. I said it was difficult to average 24 season, which it is, or close to it, or 15. It's really difficult. But you can get 20 points in a game one, two, three, four times, five times over the course of a season. All you need is five points a quarter. You come out, boom, boom, layup, cool. You get a steal, pull up, mid-range jumper, cool. You got fouled on that layup earlier. You hit your foul shot, five points in the first quarter, cool. Second quarter, you get a three in transition, boom, you get another little cheap layup, boom, five. Third quarter, you go to the basket, you get fouled, you miss your layup, you hit your two foul shots. You pull up on the jumper, get hit on the elbow, miss the jumper, another two foul shots, boom, boom. You come through, you catch a three in the corner, that's seven points, cool. So you're up to 19. Fourth quarter, all you do is come through. You're not really getting able to get a shot off or anything. You find your way back door. You go up for a layup, you miss it, you hit one or two foul shots, there's your 20 points. Real simple. All you need is five points a quarter. I just broke it down that simple and easy. So, yeah, man, you can get me 20 points. To get eight rebounds, though, that's a lot of work, man. You got to get in there. You got to be able to steal a rebound. You got to hang with these trees. Not anything is going to be a long rebound. So, the eight rebounds a game is going to be tough to replace, but don't let me make it sound as if I'm marginalizing are not appreciating the 20 points per game because I do, and that is really a key part and a huge thing. So it's going to suck, and I'm sad that Megan Walker is leaving. However, I wish her the best. And Megan even issued a statement when she announced that she was going pro because she's turned 22 and she's a junior, so she's draft eligible. For the WNBA, she said, and I quote, due to the unfortunate circumstances that caused the cancellation of the NCAA tournament, saddens me that I will not be able to finish my junior season in the way that I would have liked. I am, however, ready to move on to the next phase of my life and career. I'd like to thank the University of Connecticut, my teammates, my coaches, and the athletic staff for their support and for embracing me over the last three years. Last but not certain, last but certainly not least, I'd like to thank the fans for all their support and making me feel loved over my UConn career i will forever be a husky and wish the best for yukon in the future close quote so yeah 
the end of the Megan Walker time, the chapter, the run at Connecticut is coming to an end. It is actually there's no coming to an end. It's officially over thanks to coronavirus. So Walker will go down as one of the greatest Huskies of all time. Could she have gone down higher in the list? Had we had March Madness and she went on an epic run and led Connecticut to a title or a deep run? Yeah, definitely, 100%. But now Walker goes down as one of the top 50 players of all time. We'll see where history shakes her out over the course of time. Walker came in as the number one recruit in her class back in 2007. She put up over 1,200 points and over 600 rebounds while at UConn. She's had a hell of a career. Hell of a career. So we can't fault her for wanting to go pro and to get paid to play the game that she loves. So, WNBA draft is scheduled for April 17th. However, with the NBA, which runs the WNBA to an extent, it's the big brother. Their season's on hold. So we're willing to bet that there's not going to be a WNBA draft on April 17th. They're probably going to push that back as well, allow things to kind of shake out and play out with the coronavirus, see how that works. So... Time will tell. We wish Megan Walker the best. She's likely to be a top five pick. No worse than top ten. Smart decision for her. Whatever team gets her will be lucky to have a player like her. She should be able to grow. Actually, she might just come in and make an immediate impact. Only time will tell. And Speaking of time telling things, only time will tell when we get back to a sense of normalcy in the sporting world. Because for many sports are a release, an escape from the everyday of the politics, the mundane, the drag, work, family, relationships, whatever may be going on. A lot of people turn to sports, sit down and watch it and just lose themselves for two, three hours watching a basketball game. In times like this, make us realize how fortunate we are to be able to sit back and watch a basketball game for two, three hours and enjoy it and forget about everything going on. So let's just remember that, guys, that this is a game. We all love this game. However, there are greater things in life that are more important, such as coronavirus and making sure that you're not spreading it, that you're not being overly just stupid. I believe there was like a corona challenge going around on Twitter where people were like licking random things. I think I saw some lady lick a toilet seat on an airplane. So let's just be smart here, people. Use common sense. If you've been traveling for whatever reason, whether you just like, you know what, screw it. I paid for this flight. I paid for this cruise. I'm going. Or if you had to go out for family matters or work and you just was like, crap, I can't avoid it. Be aware. Let people know if your doctor or anybody ask if you traveled recently, anything. Be honest. This isn't a game. Let's just not chance it here. Self-quarantine. Do what's necessary. Let's just be smart, responsible adults here. Okay, that's it. That's all I ask. Seems like a lot. Probably is. Wash your hands. Stop panicking. Stop buying all toilet paper out, man. Like, come on. Toilet paper. But nonetheless, this has been the Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. I am your host, Jacob DeLawrence. I know things seem a little bit different this episode. It's weird times we're in, man. Weird times. So I believe I will be back next Monday. There will be no Wednesday episode unless something breaking happens involving the program. Then I will be here Wednesday for you to break it down recap but until we get some form of normalcy back i'm down to one episode a week i will try to get you guys another interview i will try to get megan back maybe we could talk about the impact that corona has had 
what she thinks about how it was handled, talk about Megan Walker, so on and so forth. Who knows? Only time will tell. I feel like a broken record with only time will tell. Matter of fact, can somebody listen to this episode and tweet me at underscore J Della or use the hashtag believe in UConn and be like, hey man, you said time will tell 15 minutes, 15 times in like a 20 minute episode. That's not good. But yeah, let me know. I'm sure somebody here will do it because why not, right? So, we're down to one episode a week. Thank you guys for listening like always. I will be back next Monday. If nothing has changed, I will probably start something new called the Rivalry Series where I will break down some of UConn's greatest rivalries and some of the greatest games in those rivalries. And I got the perfect place in mind to start. But that's next week. Sit back, relax, enjoy this episode for this week. If you haven't caught the Megan Como episode yet, please go back and listen to that. It's available on all podcasts. Uh, <laughs> available on all podcasts. Uh, wow, I'm blanking here, guys. Give me a second. It is available on all podcast services. There we go. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Believe.com. Doesn't matter. We have it. If you want us on somewhere else, please let me know. Tweet me. Tweet the nice folks that believe. We will try to get this wherever you want and listen to podcasts. Because, again, we want you guys to enjoy this and share and give us your commentary and feedback. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe to us, of course. So that way, when you get this fresh audio dope, it just rolls right to your phone, your iPad, your computer at work, wherever. So that way you don't have to go looking for it. It's already downloaded. All you have to do is hit Hit play, sit back, and relax. So, you know how we end this. Corona ain't changed how this show ends. We're UConn. You're not. Sorry, not sorry. Bleed blue. And last but not least, always and forever, in Gino we trust. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.